welcome to STEM Fatale, your women in science history podcast. Nice. Yes. Uh, I'm I'm Emlyn, like Gremlin. And I'm Emma, like Dilemma. And this is it. <laughs> We're here. Episode 26. Yeah, wow. It's the new year. It is. Right? I think so. We're recording all of these before <laughs> the holiday break, so I don't... I think it'll be January when yeah. this comes out. Wow. Yeah. Happy 2019, everybody. Did you make resolutions? Have you broken them by now? <laughs> Probably. Probably. I never even try. Yeah, mine are always like just the typical, you know, be healthier, exercise, <laughs> do anything better for yourself. <laughs> and sometimes it works out, I guess, yeah. for a little bit. Before you backslide. Yeah, before the semester starts. <laughs> yeah, there's like the like week and a half before the semester starts. Where yeah. You can- Live your true, true Where life. I feel like I have all my shit together mm-hmm. because I don't have any obligations. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's a good time. All right. What are we doing today? Okay, Emlyn. I got a good lady for us. They're yeah. all good. And my question for you, I guess, to, to warm us up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Get it toasty. Uh, can you describe a purine or where... Purines are found. Okay, this is. I will tell you what I know. Okay, yeah. There are purines. Yeah. There are pyrimidines. Yeah. I don't know how to say that actually. Yeah. Pyrimidines is how I've always said oh, it okay. in my head, but I don't know if that's right. They're ATCG, right? Two of them are purines, two of them are py- yeah. pyrimidines, or whatever you say. Yeah. Uh, one of them. One of them. Is circular, and the other one's circular, and then has another little piece. Yeah. I don't know which one's which. Okay. So, purines are the ones with two rings. Okay. So, one of those rings, I think, is a pyramidine ring, and then it has another one. Gotcha. But, in general, and I did not know this before (laughs) I learned about this woman, um, purines are found outside of DNA, too. Like, caffeine is a purine. Oh. And theobromine is a purine, which is found in a lot of meat. Purines that we eat to make DNA. Oh. (laughs) So they're naturally occurring and then we use them. To to make DNA. Gotcha. Yeah, like we synthesize them to make DNA. Nice. Yeah. I had no idea. I thought there was, like, two. Yeah. It feels really dumb. They're also, like, in ATP. Okay. Like in a bunch so of they're molecules. Just a, they're like a relatively common shape of yeah. molecule. They're like so they're uh they're two ringed compounds with nitrogens in them. Okay. So yeah, they're pretty common. I'm like really proud of myself that yeah. I knew as much as I did. And A and G are the purines okay. and C and T are the um pyrimidines. So <laughs> <laughs> this is relevant. <laughs> what if it wasn't relevant? And You're I'm just like, cool. quizzing you. Okay. I need to be quizzed more, so that's fine. Yeah. So this is relevant because the woman I'm going to tell you about today figured out how to um, stop purines from being incorporated into DNA in order to find cures for cancer. Oh. Stop cell growth. Basically. I was about to ask why would she do that, but you have yeah. now explained it. 
All right. Um, and this woman is Gertrude, or Trudy is her nickname, nice. Belle Ellion, which... Oh, yeah. You've probably heard, heard of her. I've, I've seen, seen her pictures. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think in my many yes. searches. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's, she won a Nobel Prize, so she's like a, one of the more well-known. Gotcha. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Take me Back. away on a magical journey. Yeah. All right. So, Gertrude Bell Ellion was born in New York City, New York. Nice. Uh, New York. Oh, I can't hit that high. New York. <laughs> okay. On January 23rd, 1918. So, almost 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. 101 years ago, almost now. Oh Both of her parents had immigrated to the U.S. at a young age. Her father came from a long line of rabbis from Lithuania. And moved to the U.S. at the age of 12. And her mother emigrated from Russia, but a part of Russia that later became Poland. A long line of rabbis. Rabbis. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) At the age of 14. Okay. And they got married when her mother was 19. And her father was a dentist. And for the first seven years of Gertrude's life, she says they lived in a large apartment in Manhattan, which is like... Really? Like, yeah. Boy, I mean, maybe back in the day, yeah. it wasn't as expensive. Yeah. Was she not allowed to eat candy, probably, also, for the first 18 years? I'm guessing. Um, because her father had his dental office uh, adjoined to their living quarters oh. in their large apartment. <laughs> You're just, like, eating breakfast and there's people screaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Um, six years later, her brother was born, and they moved to the Bronx to have more space. Gertrude remembers enjoying school and wanting to learn about everything. After high school, she would have to choose a major, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, like, loved so many subjects and had so many different interests. She wasn't sure what she wanted to do. But around, like, maybe... When she was a sophomore or junior in high school, her grandfather died of cancer. And so she became motivated to learn about a subject that could eventually lead her to a cure for cancer. And she would find one. I just can't <laughs> imagine at 18, like, having a passion. She was actually, like, like 15 because she really can't moved imagine up that. Okay. two years. Of course she did. Yeah. Uh-uh. Insane, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, therefore, when she started... um At Hunter College in New York in 1933, she decided to major in chemistry. And at that time, Hunter College was an all-women's school, free to anyone admitted, which is crazy. And she had good grades, so she got in, basically. Nice. And that's good, too, because that was sort of the middle of the Depression, and her father had lost a ton of money. Mm. And so it was nice that she could go to school for free. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. would be great. It would be great if everyone could do mm-hmm. that. <laughs> okay. So she says that college was challenging, but she made lots of friends. And a few women she met went on to do research, and many went on to become teachers, as that was more socially acceptable at the time. After, I never read much about this except that he died, but... She had a fiancé, oh. and he died of inflammation of the heart lining. Oh, God. Like, right before they graduated, I guess. But I never saw his name anywhere, like, hmm. or anything, so I don't know. 
Um, but after he died of of that heart disease, her desire to research like drugs and medicine was renewed. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted to go to graduate school, but couldn't afford it because this was the Great Depression. And sort they of had to, to end. was it because they had to pay or because it paid so little that you had to get a real job that paid more? Well, you know? so you could potentially get fellowships or assistantships, and she applied for a bunch, but she probably wasn't admitted because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. And she applied to like 20 different universities or 15 or something, and none of them would give her a fellowship. Okay, so looking back on that time, she said, I hadn't been aware that any doors were closed to me until I started knocking on them. And um, nobody took me seriously. They wondered why in the world I wanted to be a chemist when no women were doing that. The world was not waiting for me. (laughs) (laughs) So she experienced some some pushback early on. So she decided to look around just for jobs in labs. And... She still really wanted to do research that would find a cure for cancer, but there weren't many lab jobs available to women at the time. So she had a short three-month job teaching biochemistry to nurses in the New York Hospital School of Nursing, but that class was only taught once a year, so (laughs) then she had to find a new job. By chance, she met someone who was looking for a lab assistant, and although he couldn't pay her at first, for the first six months, she was working for him, basically washing dishes. She eventually started making $20 a week. Cool. (laughs) Cool, cool. So about one and a half years later, in 1939, she did get accepted to grad school at NYU, where she became the only woman in her graduate chemistry class. Mm. But she said she didn't care. It didn't seem like other people cared either. So it's like, why was it so hard to get in then? She finished her coursework in her first year, then began doing research for her master's. And to continue paying for school, she had to take various, like, teaching jobs. Okay. So she would teach chemistry, physics, and science during the day and then do all of her research at night and on weekends. Oh, man. And she had, but she obtained her master's of science degree in chemistry in 1941. Nice. So she did it. Yeah. Okay. Now she needed a job again. <laughs> but because World War II had begun, labs were short on men. Mm-hmm. You know, so finally women were allowed. That's how we weaseled our way in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for her, for her first lab job, she was hired to do analytical quality control work for a major food company. So um, this involved these arduous tasks of measuring the acidity of pickle juice. (laughs) Very important. And measuring the color of mayonnaise. What colors could it be? I don't know. I'm just imagining that you have those paint scales, like, Uh for painting your apartment, and it's just, you like... (laughs) Oh, that's one of them... (laughs) Um, yellow 23. <laughs> um, and she also had to, like, pick out raspberries that were moldy or something like that. That doesn't seem she like it has like much it. to do with <laughs> chemistry. Like, the other two, maybe. Like, the pickle juice and acidity, I can see. They're just picking out moldy raspberries. Yeah. seems like you're... <laughs> but, yeah, so she quickly became bored of the job. Uh-huh. It just wasn't interesting to her. And, um... 
Yeah, and she just wanted to do something. She still really wanted to research, like, cancer and stuff. After a year and a half, she applied for new jobs and was quickly employed by a lab at Johnson & Johnson in New Jersey. Hmm. But that only lasted for six months before the lab was disbanded. I don't what know did they what do? There. <laughs> what I happened? don't exactly know what happened. Mm, it's very yeah. hush hush. So, but she now had like a master's degree and two or three lab jobs. So she's looking better and better. Yeah. And she came across an intriguing position. Um, it was a fifty dollar a week job as the assistant of biochemist George Hitchings in the Burroughs Wellcome Company. Okay. Uh, welcome, like W E L L. Okay. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> and welcome this, is, this way. Yeah, well, be well, come. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. But <laughs> I like the effort. <sighs> okay. This, okay, this was a pharmaceutical company okay. that would later be bought by GlaxoSmithKline, which I think still exists today. Okay. It's like a it big seems- pharma. Like I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like you've heard of it. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've heard of it. <laughs> and so this, and she had a few job choices, but this was a choice that would basically change her life forever because she and George Hitchings would work together on everything for okay. the rest of their lives and were great collaborators. Nice. And let's see, while working in uh, that lab, she began to attend night school to get her doctorate at the Brooklyn Polytechnic Institute. Uh, George Hitchings, her boss, Mm -hmm. was like, you know, I think you'd get a lot farther in the field if you had a PhD. And she was like, yeah, I've been trying. I want a PhD. (laughs) Like, what the hell? It's not like I'm not trying to get a PhD. Um, so he was like, why don't you start, like, getting your PhD while working here or something? And she got into this program at Brooklyn Polytechnic Institute. I can't say Polytechnic. But she had to, like, commute there because I think it was in, ups- not upstate, more, you know, like, Westchester-ish. The you know, outside of. Oh, it's called Brooklyn. Was it in Brooklyn? I guess. That may- would make sense. <laughs> I don't know. You could well, be right. It says she had a long commute. Well, Maybe if she the said, company if she, was somewhere else. Yeah, I yeah. mean Brooklyn. It could. It could take like an hour or more okay. to get to like deep Brooklyn deep from Brooklyn. Yeah. deep Brooklyn. From I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking the lab was upstate or something. Oh, it could be. Uh, yeah. Okay, that would <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> In I totally like missed that. <laughs> Oh my god, that's stupid. Okay. So, the school told her, eventually, that she would need to choose between her job and her schooling if she wanted to receive her doctorate. Okay. And she actually decided to stay with her job. Hmm. And not get her PhD. And she said this, years later, when... (laughs) When I received three honorary doctorate degrees from George Washington University, Brown University, and the University of Michigan, I decided that perhaps that decision had been the right one after all. 
And by the time she died in 1999, she'd been awarded 25 honorary doctor degrees. <laughs> Everyone's like, have a PhD. Please, from us. Yeah, PhDs from everybody. So this decision showed how much she really liked working in that lab. Yeah. And she liked it so much because she could learn a lot. She thought the research was exciting. And um, we'll see that she made a lot of, like, crazy discoveries. Nice. So that lab, so about the lab. So George Hitchings had been generally interested in developing drugs that could stop microbial growth or metabolism. Okay. And at that time, the common approach to, like, making a drug was just, like, try things and see what happened. On people? (laughs) Probably on mice first, I think. Yeah. But he wanted to develop drugs using a rational approach, which (laughs) sounds like kind of, uh, what's the word? Like you're looking down on other uh-huh, people. Yeah, it's a little dismissive. Uh, I'm going to use a rational approach. Um, um, unlike all of you, <laughs> yeah. plebes. Um, <laughs> condescending, that's yeah. the word. <laughs> yeah. where, uh, but I guess this is like where you design a drug to target specific molecules of interest. So you know the mechanism okay. of it, I think, first. I mean, that does seem rational. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So to start this, he was researching, when when Gertrude joined the lab, he was researching differences in nucleic acid makeup and biochemistry of different bacteria and protozoa and fungi and other organisms. So they didn't know, like, the structure of the DNA molecule at that time, but they knew about, like, the ATCG letter nucleotides. And they knew that those were in DNA. Mm -hmm. And they knew that there were, like, different ratios of them in different organisms. Okay. Okay. Um, And so when Gertrude joined the lab, he assigned her to research the synthesis of purine, specifically. Okay. The A and the G. So he assigned her to research how adenine and guanine were synthesized from other purines in the cell. And they discovered that bacterial cells need specific purines to make those two, to make DNA. So they need, like, other purines. Gotcha. Yeah. And Hitchings, uh, George, hypothesized that by preventing those purines from entering the metabolic pathway that leads to DNA synthesis, they could stop the production of DNA okay. and thereby stop cell growth. Mm-hmm. So Gertrude's job then became uh, creating and testing like hundreds of different compounds in bacteria and lactobacillus to see if they stopped purine metabolism into DNA. Gotcha. And so they would like make a compound, expose bacteria to the compound and see what the effects of it were. And by 1950, um, they had synthesized two molecules, diaminopurine and thioguanine. Okay. Which are structural analogs of adenine and guanine in DNA. Gotcha. And these two molecules block DNA production by attracting metabolic enzymes away from normal purine synthesis. So things that would normally make the adenine and guanine mm-hmm. were now 
attracted to these other molecules trying to synthesize them. Okay. Like they just bound, were more likely to bind to these gotcha. fake metabolites uh-huh. kind of. Yeah. So because those were purines, yeah, they would try to convert them into yeah. adenine and guanine, but based on but, their like shape yeah, they right. couldn't exactly. so then they just kind of blocked the whole process. Okay. Yeah. And they tested these drugs in mice with leukemia, mm-hmm. a form of cancer characterized by a high number of abnormal white blood cells and, you know, white blood cells that don't function properly. Yeah. And it stopped the abnormal cell growth oh. in those mice. Amazing. So, like, in general, cancer is caused by cells that divide uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. So, like, figuring out how to stop yeah. that uncontrollable cell division. That makes sense. Yeah. Was was something new. Their drug worked in the mice, and then some doctors gave it to a few kids. Like, they started testing it in Just children. neighbors. <laughs> yeah. And the, the kids actually went into remission. Oh, nice. Yeah. But they weren't perfect. It seemed like um, some of those kids would like, or no, they caused a lot of like terrible side effects. Yeah. So they it doesn't tried, seem very specific. Yeah. So they tried making, they sort of tried to improve the, the drugs to make them a little bit more specific. So she tested, um, Gertrude ended up testing over a hundred purines to try to find like a better molecule that would have fewer side effects. Mm-hmm. And she finally discovered a molecule, 6-mercaptopurine, which she just created by replacing one sulfur atom with an oxygen atom. Okay. I don't know how you do that, but she knew how to do that. Yeah. yeah. And this uh, drug alone didn't totally cure leukemia, but combined with a few other drugs that were developed around the same time, mm-hmm. And also, like, monitoring of symptoms to make sure they're not um, get coming, they're not relapsing, will totally cure most children of leukemia. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. I did not know anything about that. I've actually never heard of them using. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about what chemotherapy drugs or how they work. Yeah. And- so this is chemotherapy, is it? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. haven't really thought of the mechanisms of chemotherapy. I mean... I thought it was just, like, poison. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I thought, too. Like, it, I mean, I guess I knew the concept. Like, they kill... They target, like, cancerous cells, mm-hmm. right? But they also probably target your other cells, which is why yeah, you, feel you feel so terrible. Shit, yeah. yeah. And they're, you know, they try to make them as specific as possible. But, yeah, so I don't... It seems like they can use this drug in adults with leukemia, but it's not as effective. And Hmm. I'm not sure if that's just because it's a different, that if adult leukemia is caused by different mutations or something. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. So that's using chemotherapy. That's kind of why your hair falls out because it's all your fast growing cells. I think your fingernails and your hair they're not divide. The cells aren't dividing because they're being blocked. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. So I mean, yeah. yeah. And specifically in this case, they're blocking DNA synthesis mm-hmm. versus just like killing cells. Yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. Okay. 
I know. I was like, oh, that seems so simple. Yeah. And yet there's still so many cancers that we don't know how to, yeah. which is interesting too. But yeah, yeah it's, it's still a very untargeted. Yeah, right. Because it's just exactly. like no cells are synth- <laughs> like are replicating. Yeah. <laughs> which okay. can't be great for your body. So this, she found this like extremely rewarding. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> I would too. Yeah, and so and this was just the beginning for for Elian and Hitchens in terms of their drug discovery success. Okay. So Gertrude was lucky in a sense that George recognized her talent and mm-hmm. fought to bring her up the ranks with him for the rest of his career. Like she always worked under him. Yeah. Um, but he was constantly like, "No, no, she's coming with me," and like. She deserves this mm-hmm. promotion and things like that. And one funny example of this was in the 1950s when George successfully sponsored her before the American Society of Biological Chemists. His words to the society, as Gertrude herself later related them, were these. I know she has three strikes against her. She doesn't have a PhD. She is a woman. And she works for industry. Nevertheless, I'm going to tell you about her. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Three strikes. <laughs> Three strikes. At least she's not out. Yeah. But, and um, he convinced them to let her into the society. Despite those terrible things. Yeah. Which is just like, those are all the stupidest reasons uh-huh. to say someone's not a good scientist. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's like this debate on Twitter about are you a scientist if you're not in the yeah, academy? And it's like, yes, that. of course you are. Yeah, you don't have to be in the stupid, the stupid academy, right? Because that study like, came out that was like, oh, scientists are leaving their fields, mm-hmm. but it's like they're leaving academia yeah, which at is a not faster the same thing. rate. Yeah, and I think part of it's probably just that there's more jobs outside of academia for scientists now mm-hmm. that pay a lot more. Yeah. Where anyway. you do more research and less, you know, yeah. other stuff. Right. Anyways. Okay. So, anyway, I thought that was funny. Yeah. Three strikes. <laughs> so, in addition to uh, 6MP, the leukemia drug, uh, Gertrude went on to discover a series of drugs that attack the life cycle of nucleic acids, including allopurinol, which inhibits uric acid synthesis from okay. purines, um, and is a treatment for gout, which is like, oh. cause, which is kind of like arthritis, like, mm-hmm. or something like the, that. The rich, yeah. the rich man's disease. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I think is because of synthesis of uric acid when you eat really Yeah, right. Yeah. Foods. Okay. And she also discovered azathioprine, which is also called inurin. Sure. But it's an effective immunosuppressive drug that makes bodies less likely to reject organ transplants. Oh. Yeah. That's like, amazing. amazing. What, wait, can you repeat that? It's an immunosuppressive drug that makes bodies less likely to reject organ okay. transplants. So you're not going to fight your... Yeah, right. It turns off, like, immune-fighting mm-hmm. cells, basically, or maybe the production of yeah. them. Yeah. I didn't look up the exact mechanisms for all of these. That's okay. I forgive you. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, um, now, I didn't start to make a compound that would do that, 
But if you listen and keep your mind open, this is what can happen. This was the story of our lives. <laughs> I love <laughs> These that. These are the days of our lives. <laughs> um, well, just shows how important basic research can be. Right. Yeah. And like not knowing exactly mm-hmm. what your results are going to be or being able to predict them always. Yeah. Shrimp yeah. on treadmills. Shrimp on treadmills. Yeah. Duck penises. Duck penises. Okay. All that good stuff. And um, other, a friend of hers, Dr. Kranitsky, said she would remain, like, heavily involved in the drug development. Um, And he said everybody tried to do that, but Trudy was a master at it. She'd argue (laughs) with the medical people. She'd argue with the FDA. (laughs) Basically, she was just like, no, this is how this works. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to make sure that it does things like this. Like, this is what I did. You know, this is my thing. Mm-hmm. And she was just really good at, at being involved in that. Nice. Okay. In the 1960s, um, Hitchens and Ellian also found more success in combating infectious diseases by targeting bacterial and viral DNA. Nice. So they're just, like, they're doing everything. at everything. They made pyrimethamine, yeah, which was is used to treat malaria. Oh, and I've probably taken that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I I don't know if it's a it's pre-treatment. A, oh, okay, maybe or, a post-treatment. Yeah. Then maybe I have not taken it. And they made trim trim. So many names. I'm sorry. <laughs> they made trimethoprim, which is also called Zeptra, if anyone's ever taken that, which treats. Meningitis, septicemia, which I've never heard of, and bacterial infections of the urinary and respiratory tracts. Oh, man. UTIs. When George Hitchens retired in 1967, Gertrude became head of the Department of Experimental Therapy at Burroughs Welcome, making her the first woman to lead a research group there. And it was a pretty large research yeah, group, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Um. And she decided to turn the group's attention towards drugs that would treat viral infections. So testing, this is a long one. Okay. Testing the compound arabinosyldiaminopurine. <laughs> she, <laughs> arabinosyl, uh, arabinosyldiaminopurine. Okay. She and her assistants altered side chains to produce more active, a more active compound to interfere with the replication of the herpes virus. And she began synthesizing new compounds and eventually developed the purine nucleoside acyclovir, which proved to be a potent inhibitor of herpes simplex virus type 1 and type 2, both in vitro and in vivo. And this, which is now brand name uh, Zovirax is currently one of the most commonly used antiviral drugs and is primarily used for treatment of herpes simplex virus infections as well as in the treatment of herpes zoster, which causes shingles, which is a chicken pox. I have a cyclovir. <laughs> you do? She's helped me. Yeah, she's, I mean, it's crazy. That's awesome. Thank you, Gertrude. Yeah. And then one more. There's one more big one, and then we'll we'll just get into like okay. Tell I me. just want to get through the list because it's long. Maybe so, she's helped me with this too. No. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll so. wait. I'll wait to see what it is. Yeah, you might cut that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Although Elian retired in 1983, she remained at Burroughs Welcome as the emeritus and consultant. And in 1984, her lab developed a zitothymidine, also called AZT. Oh, okay, yeah, which AZT. works by selectively inhibiting HIV's reverse transcriptase, the enzyme that the virus uses to make a DNA copy of its RNA. Okay, so I, I don't have AZT, <laughs> but that's amazing. Yeah, like the ver- first uh, antiretroviral yeah. therapy until also, 1991. the only, I think, musical song written about... I don't... What song is that? It's in Rent. It's all about... Oh, it's about AZT. I haven't seen Rent. AZT break. You... Yeah. I don't remember that song. But I'm sure that's the only song about some type of, like... Antiviral drug. Yeah. <laughs> Antiviral <laughs> drug. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe there's a new prep song or something. There could be. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not rent quality. Oh, prep yourself. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that's amazing. She's I know. Like... So many things. I know. So, she was really, like, revolutionary in a lot of different fields. What did she even get her prize, the Nobel Prize for? There's so many things to choose from. You know what? It's pretty vague. Yeah. It's just like, she did good things. Good yeah. Job. So, good job, Trudy. Yeah. So, okay, let's see. So, finally, in 1988, she, along with George Hitchens and another man, Sir James Black, who had discovered... He did his work separately for them. He discovered beta blockers and H2 antagonists. Uh-huh. They, all three of them received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for their vast contributions to drug discovery. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> they're like, why like, even specify? Yeah, they were just like, oh, you discovered like all of these all drugs. Of so here's the prize. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, she got a Nobel Prize. That's amazing. Yeah. I've actually don't think I've heard of her. <laughs> And it's pretty, I mean, she's probably one of very few non-PhDs to get a science Nobel Prize. Yeah. Yeah. And a woman, too. So that's pretty cool. Here's our suggestion to you fine listeners. Just do something awesome without a PhD, and then they'll give you them for free. Yeah, then you just get all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now she's, like, retired, in quotes, right? Mm -hmm. But during this time, she mentored a ton of doctors. Like, she thought it was really important for doctors to have research experience. Doctors, not doctors. Wait, what's the difference? PhDs versus MDs. like medical doctors. Medical, okay. Yeah. And she she mentored many scientists. (laughs) All (laughs) All the doctors. Um, And she consulted at a lot of different universities and in many different societies. Like, she was... On a ton of committees and, you know, cancer groups and disease groups and whatever. She was involved in everything. Gotcha. <laughs> Got her hands in all the yeah. pots. And um, she never had children of her own, but she loved being an aunt, an aunt mm. to a bunch of nephews and nieces. And her nephew says um, she made herself available to students. While people tell me now she was an advocate to the advancement of women in science, this actually comes as news to me because I always thought of her as advocating the advancement of all persons in science. So she just wanted to mentor everybody. Everybody, Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. She died in February 1999 at the age of 81 while out on a walk. Okay. Yeah. And let's see. Sort of to summarize more things that are Tell like, me more. general about her yeah. life. She had 45 patents and over 200 papers Jeez. when she died. She received like a million different prizes. Some of the, besides the Nobel Prize, she received the 1990 Medal of Honor from the American Cancer Society, the National Medal of Science presented by President George Bush in 1991, and she was the first woman inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 1991. Have I lived under a rock? I I think I have sometimes. Like, how do we not know? Yeah. I mean, we were like one, two years old, or like, we were little kids when she died. Still. Yeah. I don't know, Emlyn. I don't know. Okay. Like, it seems like these women are recognized, but how do we not know yeah. their names? Why is it only Curie and Rosalind? I don't know. I don't know. Frankly. Like, she literally invented every drug. <laughs> every drug. <laughs> I feel like every single person has taken a drug that she... Yeah, it's crazy. Hmm. Blah, blah. So even though, you know, she was engaged once, but once she started her career... Mm-hmm. She thought it would be impossible to maintain that career and have a family because women were looked down on yeah. for going to work then if you had kids. Mm-hmm. So she decided to just stick with her work. Yeah. Um, on hobbies, you know, over the she says this over the years, my work became both my vocation and avocation. <laughs> Since I enjoy it so much, I never felt a great need to go outside for relaxation. <laughs> okay, never, I don't comprehend. Wait, nevertheless, I became an avid okay. photographer oh, and okay. traveler. Nice. Um, another major interest was music, and not because I'm musically talented, but because I love to listen to it. I am an opera lover, and I've been a subscriber to the Metropolitan Opera for 40 years. I also enjoy concerts, ballet, and theater. So she did have interests. That's good. Yeah. I thought she was like, my interests were my work, and so I never went outside. Uh, Like, oh, no. (laughs) No, it's good. Yeah. And she also sort of has this idea, like, you know, in another sort of speech or something somewhere, she says, like, it's important to go into work you would like to do, then it doesn't seem like work, and... You sometimes feel like it's almost too good to be true that someone will pay you for enjoying yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But anyway. I have days where I think I'm in that line of work and then there's days where I do not. Yeah. Where you're just like, passion doesn't (laughs) exist. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so that is Gertrude Trudy Bell Ellian. I love it. Yeah. That is amazing. I thank you. I know, right? Thank you, Trudy. She's, I'm just like saving lives. Left so, probably right. so many lives. And even like, you know, she hasn't made every cancer drug, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that their discovery that you could stop DNA synthesis has led to development of further yeah. cancer drugs. It's probably, yeah. Like some foundational work. Yeah. For whatever we do now. Yeah, truly. So, anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Time. Starting the new year off right. Yeah. All right. Um, work, 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 work. This is our women who work section. Uh, shout outs to badass ladies making herstory today. Hell yeah. And this one's um, 
kind of a weird one, but I'm very excited about it. It's Ooh. not really about a woman scientist making her story today. Okay. It's more of people acknowledging <laughs> oh, oh. a woman of the past that we've talked about. Oh. So uh, my shout out this week goes to, well, I don't know who it goes out to, but okay, here's what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Uh, there's going to be a movie uh, oh, yeah. inspired by the life of Mary Annie. Yes, I'm called so Ammonite, which I think we should go to. Together. I hope it's really good. I know, but it has Kate Winslet. <laughs> I know, and um, Sasha Ronan. So Sasha Ronan is the main actress in yeah. Ladybird, and she's in some other stuff. Yeah. But so it's going to be Kate Winslet and Sasha Ronan starring in this historical drama called Ammonite about Mary Anning. I hope Trey's in the movie too. I know. I was, I like <laughs> hope there's a big scene about Trey and some mourning. Yeah. Some coprolite poop. Yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah. I think. So is Sasha playing a younger her and I'm, Kate Winslet an older? I didn't look up. Actually. Okay. So what I've read on. Vulture, whatever that is, is that Kate Winslet is going to play Mary Anning. Oh. Um, who's going to be, uh, yeah, Mary Anning, the British paleontologist, and uh, Sasha Ronan's going to be a young, wealthy London woman sent to live by the sea while her health recuperates. Oh, so I guess it might be a, like, she's, you know, observing this woman, mm-hmm. like, from her perspective, I guess. Yeah, I'm uncertain, but um, where it takes place, I forget what town it is. It's oh, shoot. Yeah, it has like such a whimsical name. Little Wingdings. Little <laughs> <laughs> Wingdings. In Harry Potter. <laughs> no, it's um, Salty Seaside Town. Um, um, Saltwater Taffy. Saltwater Taffy. <laughs> yep, that's it. Lime Regis. Lime Regis. Lime Regis. How Salt could water taffy. <laughs> hey, lime. Uh, no, lime you're, taffy. you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I am wrong. <laughs> I'm very um, wrong. So, anyways, so I'm excited. I don't think that I think they haven't started filming it yet, but I'm very yeah. excited for when it comes out. Nice. We'll yeah, to, I'm we'll excited to go. Too. We can do a review, even if it's bad. Yeah. We have to go. This is inaccurate. <laughs> It'll be fun. Okay, so yeah. I'm so excited for that. That's my shout-out this week. Um, So I think that's our episode. Yeah. So if you liked this episode and want to support us, please rate, review, subscribe. It helps more people find us, and then more people can find these lady, awesome ladies. Yeah. And uh, thank you to Caitlin Friesen for our awesome art, which is now in the form of stickers and mugs, which in the show notes you should be able to find the link to that if you want to buy awesome art uh, that supports uh-huh. uh, women in science. We're going to donate it to some type of charity <laughs> slash organization yeah. to be determined. And thank you to Artichoke for our theme music, Mary Annie. Yay! So thematic this Whoa, week. I wonder if they'll make that the theme song of the movie. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> they probably have a budget to like make something else. All right, okay. Nope. But maybe. We'll see, yeah. Maybe. It'd be a little too on the nose, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. And as, oh, yeah. Uh, go, go 